0: Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 11. Ephesians 2 from verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh by, by hand, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and he preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Well, really good morning to you, uh, King's Church. Catford It's just a great joy to be with you and to be able to serve you uh, like this. And uh, my wife and I, Kemi and I, and frankly, the whole of Jubilee, we do love you guys very much. Your pastors uh, are good uh, friends of mine and of ours. And so to be able to come back and bless, to just serve you uh, is actually a blessing to me. Uh, I often think of you guys there in the South, And uh, we here at Jubilee Church London in the north, I feel like in our little way, we're doing our best to serve the same city where God has called us to be. So it's a joy to be with you. And of course, our prayers are with your pastor as he is recuperating and uh, just getting restored. And our prayers that he will get restored completely to full health and complete functionality in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to say a word of prayer. I'm going to spend a few moments talking to you this morning from the Scriptures. Father, thank you for all your goodness, your mercy, your blessings upon us. And as we come to your word this morning, let it be a word in season. Let it be a word that energizes us to be people who live for you in every area of life. Above all, Father, I pray that at the end of it, we will be edified and Jesus will be glorified in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. O oh Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And you have set your glory above the heavens. So that when I look at the heavens, the works of your fingers, <laughs> the works of your fingers, not even the works of your hand. We, we think of the works of your hand like, you know, heavy work, really going for it. When the Bible describes the God of heaven this creating creation, the Bible describes uh, the works of his hands almost like he made it all like an afterthought. When I consider the heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, it makes me wonder, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you even bother with him? I mean, you made him a little lower than the angels, but then you gave him dominion, oh God, over the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. Oh Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. There's no time I think of that verse or quote it that a resounding amen doesn't just come from my spirit. Amen, amen. Because you see, it is the psalmist's way of describing to us the majesty of the God we serve as we look all over creation and see his fingerprints, his creative ability and beauty, everything that he has made in the way that only him <laughs> with all his power could have made. And yet all of that, describes, gives us something. It shows us that the God of heaven loves diversity. He loves diversity. He made all kinds of things in all kinds of ways. He is, you might say, relentless. In fact, he loves diversity so much, the Bible in the very first verse of the very first chapter of the very first book tells us that in the beginning, God Created When it says God, then that's Elohim. It describes, it's plural, the trinity. In the beginning, we see plurality and diversity. One might say, in the beginning, God, He created the heavens, plural. <laughs> he just loves everything. He loves different types. In verse 11 of that same chapter 1, we have described to us the plants. Where He said, let there be Vegetation. And plants and seeds and trees and fruits. Those who study these things with the science of taxonomy, let us know that there are over 400,000 species of plants. Think about that. 400,000 species of plants. And if you were to ask the God of heaven, why did he make so many? He would say, because I like it so. (laughs) Because I like it so. Uh, friends of mine, who uh, a friend of mine who lives in the states, he lives in a pretty arid, hot part of the United States, was in was with us uh, uh, for a while, and uh, being in England and London, seeing all the plants and the greenery and all the outer just loved how green the whole place is. And then and then and then I, I was amazed by how amazed he was because I just live here. I'm like it's always like that. And then would get close to a plant, he would say to me, what, "What's this one called?" I'm like, what's it called? I don't know. If I can't eat it, I'm not interested. What's it called? But the God of heaven made so many of them and they are fascinating. That's just verse 11 where we see he made so many plants. The Bible tells us in verse 24 of Genesis chapter 1 that the number of animals that he made, those who study it tell us there are over 500 species of animals, different shapes and sizes and colors and forms. When I first came to the United Kingdom, I'll never forget my first introduction to these teeny, weeny little dogs. You know, these little, I think, chihuahua dogs. There they are. When I first saw that thing, I didn't think it was a dog. I'm like, oh, what a very interesting looking overgrown rat. It just looked like a rat. It looks like sometimes overgrown. They're like, no, 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 it's a dog. I thought, of course, it's not a dog. I know what dogs look like. See, in Africa, dogs... strong. They had respect for themselves. They fought for themselves. But this little thing jungling around, if you were to ask God, why did you make so many in so many different shapes and types and sizes? He would have said, because I love this soul. Verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1 tells us, and so God made man in his own image. In the image of God created he them. Male and female created he them. Why? He just loves diversity the god of heaven loves diversity and yet he also loves unity he loves diversity and he loves unity so that so that everything he makes functions and coexists in unity and in community despite all the diversity that is in it and all of that when we see and understand and we take a moment to pull back and just recognize all that he has made It reflects the beauty, the majesty, the mastery that comes from the Trinity down to earth for you and I to see. God is amazing. Only God is amazing. And that's why it's so sad that it's into all of that that the fall would come. It's into all that that sin would come. And human beings would perfect the art of seeing the differences and the distinctions. They would see it and instead of using it for celebration, they would use it for separation and for evil. Talking about the white skin of the Caucasian, the black skin of the African. The brown pigmentation of the Asian. The unique facial features of the Oriental. All these differences, not an accident, but built and made by the God of heaven himself. Because he loved us so, human beings will see it and use it for evil. That once a person is different from me, the tendency to think that he is lesser than me and to be put apart from me. Six million years. Jews killed because they're different or perceived as different. The caste system in India that decides that one people group are completely inferior, not even human, you might say. You think of the wars in Africa between the Hutus and the Tutsis where over 500,000 people die in a period of about 90 days because they're different tribes. You think of the Rohingya people who have been displaced in Myanmar. Because they're a different people group and one is, sees himself as more powerful than the other and so they look down on another. You know, we're told in Psalm 74, pay regard unto the covenant for the dark places of the earth are full of habitations of cruelty. Psalm 74 verse 20, to pay regard to the covenant Because there are dark places in this earth and they're full of habitations of violence. All of this is sin. And the point I'm trying to make is this. The product of all this is sin. Sin that has come down and then we live in the sin and perpetuate the sin. And it shows itself in different ways. It shows itself in different ways. Particularly with us in our world these days. We will never forget the name George Floyd. We will never forget everything that then came out of that. And all the Black Lives Matter uh, uh, protests that happened because one people group who felt somewhat downtrodden, feeling that, no, at some point, things need to change. And in the end, if it's not dealt with, it spews forth as anger. And it takes different shapes. Oh, in the lowest possible way, it's either prejudice. Or it's discrimination or it's full-blown racism, prejudice, discrimination or racism. When you're talking about prejudice, you we're thinking, talking there about thoughts and attitudes and beliefs about another person that are completely negative towards them on account of their color. When it's discrimination, talking about a negative way of viewing other people and then putting actions to the prejudiced. It's to the prejudice that is there. That's discrimination. Actions that flow from thoughts and beliefs that then either harm the other or hinder the other or harass the other in some kind of way. One people grow feeling that they, are in, that they are superior to another that are inferior. It's either prejudice or discrimination or the third one, full-on racism. In the end, racism... When you really study it, it is much more than beyond a negative action of one person to another. It is a system. It is a system and structures. It is a society that has become hardwired so that in, in the psyche of that society, one people group are benefited and another people group are belittled. All of this is sin. Oh, it's all sin. And frankly, whether it shows itself in racism like I described or in tribalism in other parts of the world or in caste system, on and on and on. God sees all this and hates it because this was never his intention. The differences were to be there for beauty, not for separation. And wherever the church, to the extent that the church is silent on these things, it is complicit. To the extent that the church is muted, it is a co-creator of it. To the extent that the church ignores it, then it doesn't represent the Christ that it professes and sings to every Sunday morning. Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, was not prejudiced. He was not discriminatory and he was not a racist. He wasn't. But we live in a world of sin and the sin brings all this evil to bear. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 12, he actually describes where he says, <laughs> describe what sin was like. People who are alienated from God. He said, you're separated from Christ. You're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. And strangers to the covenant without hope and without God in the world. What a horrible, terrible mess and situation like the world in which we are today. And yet there is good news. And yet there's good news because it's into this milieu of sin, into this thickness of darkness of wickedness that the gospel comes in. That the light of the world steps down into that darkness. And when the light of the world comes into it, it comes in the person of Jesus. Who we are told in verse 13 that he brought those who are far and away from each other. He brought those who are far. He brought them near By the blood of Jesus. Verse 12, Ephesians 2 verse 12. And then he says this, And then breaking the dividing wall of hostility, he brings them both together in himself. Verse 13 and 14. And then he says this, And then having broken the wall of hostility, he then creates one new man in himself. So it's all in Christ. The unity we crave, the oneness we crave, the destruction of racism that we crave. The Bible tells us in the end, Christian, that the solution is not external. It is in Christ who is the one who is utterly righteous, utterly just in all his ways. And he teaches us to be that. And God wants you and I as Christians to demonstrate for a lost world what true unity should look like. So that in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, what you're seeing there is how God defeats racism, how God defeats sin. Look at it now. The Savior is Jesus. The way he did it is by the gospel. And the result is peace in verse 17, where he said, and so he brought peace to those who are far and to those who are near. Well, if Christians, if as Christians, we know all this these things, then how come we still have racism going on? How come we still have these things proliferating the lives of the church? How come in churches, things are not standing upright and it's been a light to the dark world in the way that it ought to be? I'll tell you, it's because we have to go beyond theological experiences. We have to go beyond what I'm trying to do here, verse by verse exegesis. And we have to get to practical experiences of people and say, what is it like for you What is it like for me? And let us begin to walk together in the name of the Lord and demonstrate a unity that the world has never seen before. It means that we have to be, first of all, if we're going to do it well and do it right, we have to be persuaded biblically. We have to be very clear in our spirits that this is what God wants. A oneness, a unity, irrespective of whatever color a person is. We have to understand that, it is, it, that the defeat of racism is God's agenda and God's mission and God's passion. It's very clear from the Bible right through. You go through the span of the Bible where you think of, for example, Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 I just, that says, you know, and so God created them male and female because He loves it that way, diverse. Not just that. In, in Genesis chapter 3 verse 20 where the Bible tells us that, and so He called... He called her Eve because she's mother of all living. Called her Eve. She's mother of all that is living. Genesis chapter 3 verse 20. What is the Bible trying to say to us there? We all come from the same place. Or you think of Malachi chapter 2 and verse 10 that tells us, Have we not all one Father? Has not the same God created us all? Yes, He has. Or you think of Acts chapter 17, where the Apostle Paul is preaching and he tells the people there about the God who made the whole world and everything that is in it. Being Lord of heaven and of earth, that he does not live in temples that are served by human hands, since he himself gave mankind life and breath and everything. And from one man, he made all the nations of the earth. Think about that. From one man, he made all the nations, all the ethnics. And he's the one that determined their allotted periods and boundaries and their dwelling places. Though he is not far from us, he calls us to seek after him and find him. Though he is not far, for it is in him that we live and we move and and we have our being. What's the Bible telling us there? He made all the nations. He made all the ethnics and he decided where they will be, where you were born, who you are, everything decided by God. Everything decided by God. And his intention in all that diversity to then bring it together by his blood to make one new man. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, where we're told thereby by your blood, you have ransomed people for God. From every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Revelation chapter 7. From every nation, every tribe, every tongue. When we get to heaven is the point. We're going to see one another and realize, oh my goodness me, from all over the world. Different nations. Well, God intends that the church be (laughs) a rehearsal for what heaven will look like. We should have diversity everywhere. For us to do it, Rightly, we must be persuaded biblically. We must teach it faithfully. We must pursue it intently. We must then build wisely, wisely. No tokenism, wisely. And then we must live it convincingly and celebrate it. Celebrate it so that the world can say, my goodness, they really do love one another. For us to live it out rightly, we must learn three lessons. Number one, we must go beyond the integration to acceptance, beyond integration to acceptance. You see, integration says, let's all fix it by laws. Well, I thank God for the laws. I thank God that we have laws that say, you know what? You cannot be racist. You cannot be discriminatory. We cannot in the workplaces and so on. I thank God for that. But you just need to know as good as the laws are, the Bible, the gospel the mouths, we go beyond integration to acceptance. That we receive everyone by grace. That there's true acceptance. Law says, you know, you stay on the outside and you're permitted to look in. We'll find a place for you to fit. Grace, on the other hand, true acceptance says, you get to be on the inside and look out and see who else you can bring in. Law and integration says, tokenism will do the superficial expressions, you know, let's have five white ones, let's have five black ones. Okay, we look fine now, the deal is done, let's have a rest. No, 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 It's saying that actually, yes, we want to put forth and we want, to dis- we want people to see what it is we have in our hearts. So we fight for that, but we never stop there. Otherwise, it is tokenism. We may start with that kind of bringing it all together, but in the end, actually... It, there's so much more better, good structures beneath it that holds it firm, that lets it be the natural, organic, true acceptance where it just flows by the grace of God Almighty. Well, where we get to the point where we're no longer deciding, is that a black one? Is that a white one? How many? Why not? Well, we get beyond that because by the grace of God, we know that all hearts are good, clean. Everyone doing the best they can and we put forward that we might glorify God, everyone is accepted in his house. In his house. Integration says, you know, uh, you're a person, yes, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, we like you each, and your views may count. True acceptance says you're completely valued in this house. It recognizes human beings are completely the same made by God. We must go beyond integration to acceptance. Secondly, we must go beyond toleration To love. Beyond toleration to love. Toleration says, look, I don't like you, but I won't harm you. Toleration says, you know what? You stay in your lane and I'll stay in my lane, okay? I know we're in the same church, but you just do your bit, I'll just do my bit. I'll I'll tolerate you, but don't expect me to like you or love you. Toleration says, you know what? Let us agree to disagree. Well, in the body of Christ in the church, that is, you have not so learned Christ. That's not how we learned of Jesus. No, we must go beyond toleration to love. Love says, I acknowledge the differences, but I love the differences, knowing that these are natural things built there, made there by God who himself loves it. Why don't we, wherever there are adjustments that need to be made, let us let this gospel change us together. That's what love says. Because it accepts the other. We must go beyond integration to acceptance. We must go beyond toleration to love. And then thirdly, we must go beyond native kingdom to kingdom culture. Beyond our own native culture to kingdom culture. Because we all have our own culture. We all grew up in certain areas and places. But the point is this. No matter how good your culture is, you can never let... the, your culture trumps Scripture. Scripture must always trump culture. It must always trump culture. Therefore, we need to be careful that we do not begin to live with one another with a kind of political correctedness. That's no good. The last thing I want is for anyone is to walk around me. I don't want my white brothers and sisters to walk around me like on eggshells. Like, I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want to get it wrong. No one thrives in that. And whatever that is, it is not unity of the Spirit. Neither should my white brothers want, you know, uh, um, neither should I feel funny or strange, different around my white brothers. We are all one in Christ by the grace of God. And so everybody has a voice, everybody has a place, everybody has an opportunity, everybody is valued. And yet in all that, we mustn't give in to political correctness because political correctness mandates perfection in expression. Political correctness says you better say it right or else. Well, I I just choose as a black man, I do not want to be that kind of Christian that demands and mandates it in every way from everyone every time perfection in expression. As long as I know that the heart is good, I'm going to help that person change. And I'm going to let that person help me change also. That's how the gospel makes permanent Christ-centered change in our lives. I often joke, you know, when people say, what's your name? Well, if you really want to know my name, I'll give you my full Nigerian name. It's Temitakwe Orelu on your Shekwanabasanjokaliosho. You're white, you could never say that name. Ever. It's on purpose. You could never say it. It's never given to your tongue to say it. But I don't mandate for my brothers to say it. Most people will call me Tuppy because I like it so. In fact, for the most part, these other Nigerians are like, that's not his name. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I like it. So I see it like a nickname. Look at me. He did not die on a bloodstained cross so that people could pronounce my name correctly. But the other flip side also is important. He didn't die on a bloodstained cross for you not to be even willing to bother to know me and to pronounce my name correctly. The gospel goes beyond integration to acceptance. It goes beyond toleration to love. It goes beyond native culture to kingdom culture. And when we do this well and right, (laughs) then amongst us we will realize that there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. What's the Bible trying to say there? that we are all of equal value before God. When we do it right, we'll realize, like it says in Ephesians, that there are no longer strangers, no longer aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints. And we are all together of the household of God. When we do it together, then the Bible tells us that by this shall all men know that you are mine. When you show love one for another. One for another where we prize diversity and go beyond acceptance of diversity into actually being anti-racist. And they see what a model looks like when people love each other by the love with which he has loved us. The outcome of all of that, brothers and sisters, is simply this, is that we begin to be missionaries to the world. We become a royal priesthood who are there to show forth the excellences of him who has called us and sent us. To display his glory to a lost, dark world. Missionary missions is the outcome. And so I've taken a few moments today, walking you through portions of Ephesians chapter 2, to say the God of heaven made us all, no matter what color, what tribe, what creed, by his grace, we are one in him. And as he did from the beginning, loving them, making them out of love. He still loves them today. And He loves them (laughs) irrespective of what they look like. Irrespective of what they look like. Eight billion people on the face of this earth. Every single one He made and He died to save. And as He did it for them, He calls you and I the way to see them and to love them and recognize they are all made in his image. We're talking about the black skin of the African, the white skin of the Caucasian, the brown skin of the Asian, the beauty of the Oriental, the male, the female, the broken, the bruised, the lost, those in darkness and those who are suffering. He has called us to be light to them and to beat the world from its racism and display goodness to him. It's been a joy being with you. I know that in your church, if there's any church that has worked hard and is diverse and continues to work at it, hence your current series, it's you guys. You're on the forefront and on, and on the vanguard of it all. And I thank God for you.